0: Hey Pacers fans, this is Victor Oladipo, and you're listening to the Sideline Guys Podcast. Well, it's Friday here. We welcome you into another Sideline Guys Podcast. Alongside Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan. The Pacers are in the midst of three straight on the road. However, we have you here and in person for this one. We catch up with you on the road a lot during the season. That's not the case. And one of, I think, the positives of this three-game road trip was it's actually not a full three-game road trip, and that you guys went out to Minnesota, went out to San Antonio, and then come back here for a couple of days before heading to Cleveland.
1: For the purposes of discussions, it is a three-game road trip, and we, we speak about that in those terms on the pregame show during the game but it is nice to have this return home and i was a little surprised i will admit when the schedule came out and actually the itinerary came out that we were deciding to fly home from san antonio after the game and then you know stay home even though there was really no practice schedule it was the regular day off for the team on thursday but i think and i don't know this to be a fact But I think the preseason schedule and the four games in eight days on the road maybe played into this just a little bit. Because I would have thought this early season road trip would be okay. The team would like to get them away. Sometimes you can bond on the road. Sometimes you practice better away from home. But I do think because the plane would have pretty much flown over Indianapolis to get to Cleveland, and you had the opportunity, even though it was a late-night Arrival Wednesday night into the airport and to get back home and Thursday was one of those days. It almost felt a little bit to me like coming back from a West Coast trip where you're just kind of not all there. You're still, you know, not jet lag necessarily, but the time change. And anytime you're driving home at three thirty in the morning, it is tough. But I think it's nice that you have those two days. Yeah, you were able to go home, take care of some things. For me, it's take care of things around the house uh, for the players, see their family, and relax a little bit, and then get back down to business and get on the airplane to Cleveland because – Nothing against Cleveland, but I guess I didn't really need a day off there either. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> This time of the year, for me, is always obviously exciting because the season has started. You finally have areas that you can delve into and see how teams are different from year to year. However, for me, it's always a little bit annoying, too, because you get early season trends of three or four games and people naturally overreact to them. It happens in every sport. And the way this Pacer season has gone... It's kind of been funny to watch the fan base because great win on opening night, real high, and then really struggled in Milwaukee. And then, nope, this is who they are. They dominate Brooklyn. And then they have a disappointing fourth quarter and lose in Minnesota, and then maybe the best of those three games was the 20-point win uh, out in San Antonio, and I like looking at these things because I'm a little bit of a numbers nerd, but the Sagarin ratings, which are used heavily in college football, um, it's essentially a a formula. This used to be one of the formulas that went into actually picking the national championship game that they got rid of, Uh, but this formula works for other sports, and they have them for other leagues, and basically what it does for the NBA is something like it takes your offensive efficiency your defensive efficiency efficiency and your strength of schedule and it pops out a number and it ranks the teams but even just uh, five games or so in less than that for some teams you kind of look at this and you say, okay, you know, most of this looks pretty close to what you think would be right, and I bring that up because the Pacers are 7th, and that's uh, maybe a better indicator of where Indiana is because the schedule has been tougher than most teams. They've had more road games here off of the top, and yeah, the Minnesota game was disappointing because I think you felt like for f- about 45 of those minutes, Indiana played well enough to come out of there with a win but had just a, a almost disastrous th- first three minutes to that fourth quarter. The Milwaukee game was a little bit of an outlier, but um, the the San Antonio game was really good, but you look at these, uh, where the Sagarin rankings have them, I mean, it's Golden State 1, Toronto two, 2, Milwaukee 3, I think that all makes sense, and what's interesting, and we'll get into this more later, again, n- small sample size, too early to overreact, 30th on this list is Cleveland. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I was just looking at the traditional standing, seeing them as one of only two teams in the NBA winless. The other you would not expect to see, you would not expect it to last long, the Oklahoma City Thunder. But quick back to the Sagarin. Shout out to Jeff Sagarin. Did you? you I, I, you're a young guy. I didn't know if you were aware where the Sagarin ratings originated.
0: I do know it's Jeff Sagarin. I do. Look, there is a local tie.
1: Bloomington. Bloomington. Yeah. Okay. They originated in the Bloomington Herald Times, and uh, I believe he might still live in Bloomington, actually. And they do what's interesting, and uh, not to get too far off topic, but a lot of the high school coaches would like the Sagarin ratings to be used for seeding the high school tournament because there are Sagarin ratings for high school football and basketball. And I think in other states people would think that's crazy, especially uh, maybe football, but to have basketball, girls' basketball, Sagarin ratings, um, it shows what basketball means. But uh, Jeff Sagarin does a great job, and his formulas show the Pacers 7th, show the Cavaliers 30th. That bodes well for Saturday, but to quickly get back on what you said, I think the real Pacers, We I asked Kristen Airy to start the pregame show on Wednesday, the two games on the road, the two games at home, which is the real team. It's probably somewhere in between. I'm guessing we might have a close game at some point this season. Last year, it seemed like every game was down to the wire within a possession with two or three minutes to play, and there have not been any of those. And so that's been unusual to me I'm surprised but I do think it's good that this team when they play well they are putting people away instead of letting you know teams back in the game and you could say those two losses uh Minnesota's a team that I don't know where they're going to go I have my I have a feeling it's going to unravel for them and that's where I think the fourth quarter the Pacers will wish they could have it back but Milwaukee is looking like one of the best teams in the entire NBA and in their first game in their brand new arena that was just going to be very tough to win even if you played well so I do really like what I saw from the Spurs game what was Noteworthy to me is not just hearing the guys talk, but watching both the practice on Tuesday and the shoot-around on Wednesday, how much the coaching staff emphasized sharing the basketball, ball movement, assists, and sometimes guys can listen, oh yeah, sure, we got to pass better, but from the opening tip, that ball was whipping around the perimeter, they were finding guys inside, they were not just making regular passes. They were making great passes, and so I do think it's a great sign that they took something that was a negative on Monday, the lack of ball movement, the isolation play that Nate was stressing during timeouts in that game. He thought the ball was sticking. Guys were almost getting a little selfish, and it did a complete change on Wednesday, so a really good fifth game. I think no one really knew what to say about this team through four games. I think this was kind of take a deep breath and relax a little. Now, you don't want the players to relax, but I think outstanding performance against the Spurs on Wednesday night.
0: And you look at those five games for the Pacers, there are some trends that have stuck out, and some of them are similar to last year in that the Pacers are one of the top three-point shooting teams in the league by percentage. They aren't shooting it as much as most teams. And I don't think they're ever going to under Nate McMillan, you know, have this renaissance like Milwaukee is having. But there is, I think, a common ground there. And you were talking a little bit with Corey Joseph about it before the Spurs game, in which things went very well from the three point line. And he was saying, you know, look, there is a, a conscious effort to take more three pointers. And it can be difficult because while I am, in general, on board with most of the analytics the problem I have with them is like if you offer me Victor Oladipo open from the elbow I'm taking that every single time and the analytics would say that's not necessarily the most efficient shot but if you're putting like San Antonio is a great example that's a team that I think could win 50 games and I know that's weird to say coming off of that most recent game but they won 47 last year without Kawhi Leonard and they have DeMar DeRozan in that spot this year, so it reasons that they could pick up three more wins. And like DeRozan and Aldridge are like the two most mid range guys in the NBA. And it's interesting watch San, watching San Antonio have success even over the years because they've kind of bucked all of the trends. They play slower, they don't shoot a ton of threes, and yet they've had success. Uh, For the Pacers, though, you have Doug McDermott, who is shooting well, Boyan Bogdanovich, who is shooting well, and that's one thing we talked about before the season, what both of those guys could do. But I guess what are your thoughts here? Because you've watched the team, for the most part, be pretty dominant when they're shooting the three. But it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. Like, are they shooting so well because they only take good shots? And obviously they have good shooters. And if they took the amount of shots that most teams, that percentage would have come down, or – is that percentage indicative that they should be shooting more?
1: I think they should work maybe a little harder than they did the first, you know, few games. I think they did work harder on Wednesday to get open three-point shots. The ball movement just creates that. But I think you have to take something else into consideration. The Bucks game is the one that everyone was complaining about and a lot of things happened in that game, and I, I saw some people screen grab the shot charts, and they showed all the Pacers two-point shots, and I think the Bucks may have only had five shots in that entire game that weren't in the paint or outside the three-point arc. Well, that's obviously by design. They are trying very hard to follow the analytics, and they're also doing it defensively in that they're crowding the three-point arc and the paint, and they're baiting you to take those shots. I agree completely with you in that if you're wide open from 15 feet, it's not the same as if you're being heavily guarded. So I don't have as much of a problem, and I do think you have to – you can't just completely go to this new age of I'm not going to shoot if I'm wide open from a mid-range jumper, have confidence, and knock that shot down. Nate still likes to play basketball what he says, play the right way and I think that there can be a balance. So um, I tend to try to caution people from one-game overreactions and just you see something you don't like, you complain about it. We see it all the time, and it's kind of the era that we live in with social media. But I'll be interested to see what happens to Milwaukee by game 20. I mean, has this – just completely led to them winning every game. And, you know, you have Giannis, so you can drive the paint and dish better than probably anybody in the NBA. So you have to take that into consideration. You have to take your personnel into consideration. But by the percentages, we know this team can shoot if they're open. So continue to work to try to get open looks, but don't forget about that other area of the floor like I think Milwaukee is doing maybe uh, to an extent you you would
0: not advise. And just an example of how small sample size can be exaggerated too much at this time of the year. And again, I'm not saying like the Sagarin ratings in the NBA are the end-all be-all here. But like they have Detroit 18th. Detroit's 4-0. And I think a lot of people see that 4-0 number with Detroit and say, oh, wow, what are the Pistons going to be this year? And look, they have looked good. They have a win over the 76ers. But they played, I think, the Nets. They've played the Bulls. And... They played somebody uh, the other night who was – last night who wasn't very good either. Cavs. The Cavs, right. So part of that is strength of schedule. They have wins against three teams who have like a combined four wins, and it's something you need to keep in mind. I'm I'm wondering, though, especially with you being with the team and getting to see them on three of the five games this year that I haven't, is there anybody that has – surprised you, and maybe it's not necessarily with their performance, but is there anything that really stands out to you as a player who has maybe been different, or a player who has brought something that you didn't expect this year?
1: I remember the start of last season thinking Boyan Bogdanovich was struggling, and it took him a while to kind of get his feet under him in the Pacers system and I've been maybe as impressed with any particular player as I have Boyan Bogdanovich his three-point shooting the start of the season I think he was 10 for 13 through four games he was just one for four against the Spurs seven points maybe you know one of his off nights but I think over the first five games, we've seen the importance of Bojan Bogdanovic. He holds his own defensively. He's not going to be a defensive superstar. I'm not going to say I'm surprised, but I was a little worried when the initial reports came out that he had injured himself a couple of different times in Croatia. And we know how, you know, sometimes he gets worn down because he plays basketball year round. And so I think I've been happy with the way that Bojan Bogdanovic has come in and you know basically felt fresh and really been a big part of that starting group. Um, Surprised also from maybe a positive perspective that somebody like Kyle O'Quinn in the third game of the season with DeMontis Sabonis out could be so effective after not really having played uh, regular rotation minutes the first two games in a new system with a new group. You basically, I've always felt like, and this isn't a knock against Miles Turner, but when Miles Turner has been injured over the last last season, and you put DeMontis Sabonis in, Miles Turner's minutes in his spot, there really was no drop off. I didn't think that you could say the third center replaces DeMontis Sabonis and you have the same impact, but you could say the Pacers starting center, backup center, third center. Is there a better three center combination in this league?
0: No. <laughs> I, I I at least off the top of my I head, mean we're biased,
1: we see him and, and I mean you normally you just think Miles and Sabonis, those are two starting quality centers and you've got one that is a backup. But if you if you factor in Kylo Quinn, it's a credit to him that he took this situation, this opportunity, granted it you know, it was a good contract, or at least, you know, he's making I think the mid level exception, so five million dollars a year maybe is more than he would have been offered with the Knicks. I'm not sure about that. But he every time you ask Nate McMillan about Kyle O'Quinn, he says we were pretty clear in what his role would be, and there is not anything close to a complaint. I think he's one of the best locker room guys um, that I've witnessed here in the, the first two weeks, and it's a locker room full of good guys, but he accepts his role. He's okay not playing, and when he plays, he's not just doing okay. He's excelling. And it was really only in that one game, and then he was able to play a little bit against Minnesota, which is natural. He plays well on Saturday. You can't just completely take him out of the lineup, and Demonte Sabonis had some foul trouble, and Miles has had some foul trouble throughout. So um surprised just with that one performance that he could be so effective after having not played.
0: Yeah, and and I think – Two, with with the DeMontis and the Miles thing, this is probably going to be the biggest, like, debated storyline this year, at least that you see when, when you follow Twitter and all of that thing, and I know this isn't necessarily the most exciting take, but, like, they can both be good. And and honestly, that's best case scenario. Like you can feel like DeMontis Sabonis could and should be starting and playing more minutes, and you can be right. And you can feel like Miles Turner has earned his minutes and you can be right. And and what's interesting about the first five games When they've had success, they've been really spread out in terms of they've had a lot of depth. The Brooklyn game, they had nine guys score in double figures. The three
1: wins, nine, eight, and seven. Brooklyn, San Antonio, and...
0: So no one's probably going to put up gigantic numbers, and nobody has put up gigantic numbers. And DeMontis Sabonis has looked fantastic, but... Part of it is, you know, Miles Turner's with the starting unit, and when you have Victor Oladipo there and you have Boyan playing as well as he is, I mean, there's a lot of ball to go around, and that's a good thing. So if you just look at his numbers, you maybe don't say, oh, where's the jump we were hoping for? But for me, the eye test with Miles is a good test because he does appear to be stronger in the post. He definitely has. He won't admit, this is this is interesting, he won't admit, and I, and I don't know what it is, but it's kind of a sore subject the couple times I bring up the post moves because he kind of just pushes it off, and he says, oh, I've always had those, Um, and, and maybe he has. Like, I don't want to tell a player what he has and what he hasn't, but there's a different level in the post from Miles this year. I think there's a different aggression toward the basket. I think he's been more physical on defense. Yes, there have been a couple games where I would have liked to see him rebound better, but big picture, I've seen improvement in the areas so far that I want to see improvement from Miles, And I'm good with that. And just because DeMontis Sabonis maybe is playing a little bit better at the beginning of the year doesn't mean I'm going to dog Miles because I think Miles is playing well too.
1: Absolutely. I want to go off just on a little bit of a tangent. I'm going to be a little frustrated if all season long. Okay, there are 82 (laughs) games. And even if you are optimistic and you say the Pacers are going to win 50, that means they lose 32. Right. And every time you lose a game – if you blame Miles Turner, I'm going to get a little tired of it. And if if Sabonis is not part of that Victor Oladipo trade, let's say you got Victor Oladipo and a future first. Miles's minutes would be up, his averages would be up. There would be no, "Oh, look at who you could replace Miles with." But because Sabonis is there, it almost hurts Miles. And you know, these guys are friends, they work hard together. They both obviously want to do the best. I mean, if you ask DeMontis Sabonis, I'm guessing he might say, sure, I'd like to be a starter in the NBA. And at some point, that probably needs to happen. But if you watch the games, Miles Turner has improved. I'm not a shill for Miles, but he is doing things that he did not do last season. Just because I think sometimes people watch Miles and they expect him to be Shaq, Kareem, and Mikhail all at the same time. I mean, he is not a finished prod- product yet. We're not saying that because, oh, I, I'm not going to, I said I wouldn't use the 22 year old um, excuse or analogy anymore. He's young, but he is in his third, he's in his fourth season, right? Right. I, I, sometimes I guess I get, I lose track a little it bit. It is, it's,
0: the I was actually, <laughs> the, tossing back to an interview, it, I was, I was kind of going, how many? And then I decided, I'm not going to say years, but it's weird because he's so young, you forget that DeMontis is only a couple months younger.
1: And this is something that I read while researching the Spurs. You know, the LaMarcus Aldridge comparison, many people say it is a good comparison in what Miles Turner can be. He is not to that point yet. But Nate McMillan should know better than most. And he has often said, uh, there was a quote, I believe it was during Miles' rookie season, he said, it's almost like they were cloned. And I asked Nate about it before the game, and he referenced how LaMarcus came into the league as kind of a you know guy that liked to shoot. They lost Greg Oden to an injury. They had to have him inside more. He was even reluctant to do it, and he became more of a post-presence. And then it was the fifth season when LaMarcus Aldridge really took off, got that all-star recognition. His numbers were outstanding, and Nate was quoted as saying, this is what I've always thought LaMarcus could be. So, if Miles is in his fourth season, there still is an opportunity. And I wish Miles did some things a little bit better, but I have seen him do many other things a lot better. And I just don't want every single game us to be doing this. It's just, it's a little frustrating. And I get that people have to put content out every day, and, you know, there has to be, you know, a hero and a goat virtually every day. But I don't see Miles Turner as the goat in the three losses,
0: even. No. Or the two Two losses. losses. No, and and the other thing that almost never gets taken into account is while sometimes Miles can struggle on defense if it's a really big, bruising DeAndre Jordan type, he's a really good rim protector. I mean, the stats say around the rim, Miles is one of the best defenders. So – and and you look at the you know reported details of his contract, and you look at like what he does. Even if he never turns into that top notch player, he's already a good NBA player, and it's it's a good problem to have. And I understand. Like I get why people maybe watch Demontis Sabonis, and they say he needs to be playing more. Um, but the the matter of the fact is, there's just not a spot for that right now when you have another good center, and that's a good problem. Like I wish I wish sometimes people could look at that and be like, that's a good thing that Demontis Sabonis isn't playing more, even if he deserves it.
1: In this day and age, or I should say in this NBA, how many games are neither one of them going to be in foul trouble? You're you're getting kind of a right. little bit of at least first half foul trouble from at least one of them in almost every game.
0: And that's something they both at times can struggle with. So if anything to that point, it's important to have both of them.
1: Absolutely. And so, I'm off the tangent and I don't want to do this even on the, I don't even want to devote just set the time, time on week. the podcast yeah. every week to yeah, Oh, what about Miles Turner? Was and I don't I don't have anything against the people that have been kind of publicly against him or even the ones that are, feel it's necessary to publicly support him. I'm I'm kind of in the middle right now. I think he could do some things better, but I think he is doing things better and that's what I want people to notice and don't just See a play that he doesn't do something right or look at the box score at the end of a game and say, where's that guy that could have 20 and 15? Because I think that as well, but I still think it's possible. And if he if he stays at where he's at right now, the team can still be very good. They're not built around Miles Turner,
0: right? And that's that's the biggest key, I think. And you look at the Memphis game; maybe is the best example of that because I think he had like eight and eight or something. But he held Gasol scoreless in the first half. Uh, he was really strong on defense. He was showing an array of post moves. He had a really nice move at, in the third or the fourth where he drove it right at Gasol, spun and flipped it in with his left hand, something he hadn't done before. And this this team isn't built where it has to have Miles play well to win and and that's the overarching thing when you're when you're necessarily looking at stats like I was you just look at the Pacers points per game no player besides Victor has more than 13 that's not because they don't have another 13 point per game score it's been it's because they have so many guys who are so even and that's going to be the case a lot this year like if, if this is not necessarily the best year if you were a player I think who was selfish and looking to get your numbers to get a huge contract because we see what the bench can do. We see how much time they've given to the bench, and uh, and for good reason. The bench in four out of five games has been somewhere between good and dominant, and it's been a big reason why they've won. And another, you know, you have five games and you see early trends and you wonder, is this just small sample size or is this what to hope for the future? Here's one stat that I think is promising, and it's not – ridiculous that you say they can't hold it up the Pacers enter uh, Friday 12th in the league in rebounding and I think that would be a really good place for them if they could end they were I think 21 or 22 last year so it was a weakness last year it they weren't horrendous at it but they lost it more than they want it and this year uh at least in terms of rebounding percentage which is one of the couple stats you can use that and uh and plus minus but 12th would be a good spot for them because they're never going to be a top-notch rebounding team. They don't have, you know, Jordan and Griffin, and or Drummond and Griffin. Man, I gotta stop doing that. Drummond and Griffin in the post. They don't have two bruising, you know, bigs. Some teams are just gonna rebound better than others. But if they can be around mid-pack and take one of their weaknesses last year and just turn it into something that doesn't hurt them this year, then I think, uh, I, I think that, if anything, like that might not stand out, and it might be the most. Unattractive stat, if you will, middle of the pack in a boring stat like rebounding. But that's one of those things I think you could look at and say if they can go from 22 to like 12, 13, 14, that's an area that I think you could see uh, pretty significant growth and make pretty significant differences on the court.
1: And it was probably the only negative that stands out. From the Spurs game was the 15 offensive rebounds that San Antonio had. And in that third quarter, when it looked like San Antonio was going to make a run, they got a number of second chance opportunities. And then the Pacers kind of corrected that midway through the third quarter and got better at it. Nate McMillan has issued a challenge to his team to be top 10. In rebounding, I think they actually are looking at even defensive total rebounds, so not even an analytic stat-like rebound percentage. But they just want guys thinking, you've got to go get those defensive boards. They gave up a few too many, but it is something I think they are improving on. And I think Miles is improving. I I think he's had some games he's rebounded better than others, but he has a mindset to go get the ball maybe more than he has in the past. You've been asking, is it real, or can we expect it to um, continue? I wanted to ask you back about the bench. I think we all expected the bench to be really good, but we've seen fourth quarters with at least two, maybe three, sometimes four bench players staying on the court. What do you think happens in a close game?
0: That is interesting because I think it's different every game, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. I think Mark Monteith has the quote that I like the best as it relates to this. It's not necessarily who starts but who finishes, and that could be – I doubt
1: he came out. I doubt he was the originator of it. But he was the first person that
0: said it – to Me, where I had not heard it directly put like that before, <laughs> and, and that's another argument. And we're done with the Miles Domas thing, but just to finally close that like, if, if Domas is playing better, they can end the game, and better. they have actually, and they have, yes, <laughs> yes. So, so that's that's an area where I think I think Nate has. I asked this to him, and, and he didn't really take it exactly where I wanted, but I think Nate has more lineup flexibility than ever. At least with the Pacers, certainly. I mean, you can have lineups on the floor that have McDermott and Bogdanovich on each side. The lineup in a small sample that has had Tyreek and Victor on the floor at the same time has been really, really good. And so you look at the depth, I I think this allows Nate to say, in this game, maybe I like Corey Joseph over Darren Collison at the point guard position because the other team has a Chris Paul type and we want the better defender out there. Um, you know, this team is a team that we feel like we can exploit from the three-point line, so we want McDermott and Boyan on the floor, or this team is one we feel like with Victor and with Tyreek we can, you know, beat off of the dribble. And that's that's maybe my favorite aspect of the team this year is that if Nate feels like his starters have a huge advantage, he's got a pretty good starting unit. If he feels like his bench has a big advantage, he can play them more minutes than a typical bench, and he can mix and match, and I've really enjoyed watching him throw in different uh, iterations of the lineup, including a lineup that was talked about a whole lot before the season. Hasn't really happened much, but I'd have to go back and look. I can't remember how many minutes they played, and it wasn't a whole lot, but San Antonio, he did have Miles and Domas on the floor, and there was a really nice play where Miles kind of caught it at the free throw line, drove, beat his man, Domas' guy had to help, and Miles wrapped it around and hit Domas for the layup, And, and so that's another lineup that could work as well, and so I think The thing I like the most about this bench, to kind of answer your question here, is we've had a couple of games where three or four guys have played really well, and I don't even think that's necessary for them to win. I think if a couple bench guys play well and the starters hold up their own, they're going to win about 75% of games on that formula. And they've got Sabonis, they've got Corey Joseph, Tyreek Evans, Doug McDermott. I I think a couple of those guys play well. And as long as the starters hold up their own, you're going to like where you are more times than not. And if they all play well, you get results where you win by 20 points in San Antonio.
1: And I know many criticize plus-minus, but when they've been on the court, they've been successful, and against the Spurs, Corey Joseph, DeMontis Sabonis, and Tyreek Evans, the top plus-minus players for the Pacers in that game. Joseph plus 30, Sabonis plus 32, Tyreek Evans plus 29. I really like Tyreek Evans. I feel like there have been times this first five games of the season I wanted to see a little bit more from Tyreek but all all in all I do think he's fit in quite nicely I think he's responded to challenges from the coaching staff I think he's not selfish at all he's one of the top assist guys on the Pacers right now had just two in the game against San Antonio but I I believe he was uh, maybe even the leading assist guy uh, through the first four games so um, the bench gets a lot of praise we'll continue to do so and maybe the one player who of the bench who doesn't get as much credit as, as Corey Joseph. It is something I'm going to be watching. I mean, he had more minutes than Darren Collison. And I don't think Darren – I think he'd be probably be the first to admit it hasn't been the best individual of starts to his season. But if you have a backup like Corey Joseph, you don't even – you don't even think about it as much
0: right and and that's that's where the depth really comes into play that's to me the most promising thing about this team is just where they are and where they have depth normally you and i we uh come up with a pick three and we kind of talk about it a little bit before the show and we didn't do it anything off <laughs> the top of your head Who, so coming up is uh saturday against cleveland um they might be the most disappointing team in the league through five games. The Thunder are 0-4, and, and that's disappointing. They we're normally a
1: positive podcast. You yeah. want to say the three most disappointing teams okay. in the NBA? And yeah, let's do we that. We can just joint pick yeah, the Cavs. never mean.
0: But right. you were high on the Cavs before <laughs> the was, season, I and I high. was not. I was high on the Cavs and the Thunder, so that's looking good. <laughs> um, although I think the Thunder are going to be just fine. And and I, I still think there's a pretty good chance the Cavs are just fine um, in terms of where they could be. You
1: think the Cavs are just fine?
0: I think they will be.
1: You think they're still going to make the playoffs? From
0: a relative perspective. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to change my playoff pick because of five games. But I will say that they've been disappointing. And they've got too much talent... I say this relatively because they don't have a ton of talent. But think like, about over the
1: last couple of years what they've done when LeBron James I hasn't know. been on the court. I know,
0: but I really thought and I still think that Kevin Love without James is going to be a better player than Kevin Love with James. And so, and plus the East, I mean, it still has Chicago, Atlanta, Orlando, um, New York without Porzingis. Some of I those do think guys York still have better. young players that
1: I have That's more true. optimism about That's than true. the veterans of Cleveland and just at some point, The culture in Cleveland, I don't think it's quite as good as maybe some people think it is. I think people are going to start, what are we playing for? Uh, Fans are going to get, they're going to kind of mail it in on the season. They'll start thinking about the lottery and draft picks. How weird was it the season started and they decided to not play Corver and J.R. Smith and Channing Frye? And then a couple games later they say, oh, well, maybe we are going to play you guys. I, I don't like Cleveland at all I I predict 13th 14th 15th that's where they finish so they are disappointing but it's just not a surprise to me um that was our group pick yeah so I guess that's the
0: obvious one and you just
1: kind of look at the standings it's the other obvious one is Oklahoma City right right yeah but then to see Houston one and three that's I you can't say they're a disappointing team they have only one win and that was against the lakers in the uh spitgate game <laughs> and chris paul now has been suspended but yeah. i'm going to i'm going to throw them off i'm going to say four games in nothing really to be concerned with um let's, let's go back to the eastern conference maybe we'll just uh say washington
0: washington's been disappointing i think houston's been disappointing um see th- the problem with me for houston is this i think they'll be fine but i think and, and I'm not saying four games in, they've already lost some kind of position. But I think for them to have a chance at beating Golden State, and I'm talking about a chance, any chance, they've got to have home court. And so even though four games in, three losses, whatever, they probably will be just fine. Like they're already, uh, what, they're already two and a half behind Golden State. And that's a team that's just not going to lose a whole lot. And I'm not saying they can't overcome it. and I'm not even saying they won't. But they did a lot in the off season, and I think a lot of people were kind of like, that could work, or it could turn out to be kind of bad, like losing Bamute and losing Trevor Ariza, to your better defenders, and Bamute's not a scorer, but Ariza's a 3-and-D guy, and would Carmelo work? And if they end up with Jimmy Butler, you know, that probably changes all of this. But um, I, I, I would call them disappointing because I think a team as good as they are should be better than one in three, even in four games. And I know that bucks, bucks the small sample size things that I've been saying, but I've been disappointed um, in Houston. And So if we had to
1: pick three, we're going to go Cleveland, Houston.
0: I guess, do you want Washington or Oklahoma City? Oklahoma City. Okay.
1: Not like we need to really talk about them. Yeah, I don't even like watching them.
0: <laughs> they're, they're, they would be really frustrating to watch because watching their game last night, like, one team looked really smart and one team did not look really smart. Like, they got up nine, I think, with four or five minutes left. Yeah, and I thought Boston was going to win. <laughs> well, I didn't think they were going to win at that point. But I will say, like, if you've watched Boston play, especially in big games, if you thought they were out of it, you were insane. Um, but... They got up nine, and then all of a sudden Westbrook's sprinting down the court and chucking up threes. It's like, what are you doing? He's so talented. And they have so much potential. Um, You know, I I really thought and still think the Carmelo thing will be addition by subtraction. Paul George is
1: shooting uh, 11 threes per game, and I know maybe you're supposed to shoot threes, and he is a good three-point shooter. But let's make another comparison that many often do and sometimes I get frustrated with. In last night's game, Paul George... Had 22 points. How many field goal attempts do you think he had?
0: Uh, Denary, I think, posted it. What did uh, he have? Oh, he did. 22. 22, yeah. 7 of 22, right? So when you, when you
1: take threes and you take free throws into account, you should probably have more points than you do field goal attempts. Yeah. Well, how about Vic on Wednesday?
0: He was very efficient. 21 points. Yeah. How many attempts? What did he have? 12? 12. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean 7 for 12, he didn't force it at all. He had also, 9 I think assists. He had 21 at the
0: half. I'm not even sure if he scored in the second half of that game. And that because I don't think they needed him to. I could be wrong.
1: No, I, he had 10 in the third quarter. He had 10 in he the had, third. He had 21 at the end of the third. He didn't. Okay, that's what it was. He may have not. 21. I don't think he scored in f- much in the yeah, fourth. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've got the third quarter box score. Okay. He played about 5 minutes in the fourth quarter, but he was big in the third.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. Um but that yeah. I don't know. There's so much talent there that I think they figure it out.
1: And and Westbrook wasn't playing the first two games, right, correct? Right. So and then you have one game you got to ease back not. in. But he's how do you lose not. to Sacramento at home? No Westbrook's idea. first game back when you're zero two. I mean that all anything about sports that I've ever learned and witnessed is you know a team you you can never. After a big win, they maybe are going to let up. After a disappointing loss, they're going to respond. They should have responded, and they didn't. And then they had the national TV game against the Celtics, who really aren't playing their best basketball right now, and they lost that. So 0-4, they have to be considered disappointing.
0: Absolutely. And, again, it's just four games. But, again, in the Western Conference especially, there's not going to be – you know, there's not this big margin for error. You can't start – something like three and twelve and then and then hope to dig yourself out of it. And, and 0 and four is not an undiggable hole, but it is a bad start and it is something they're gonna have to overcome. And I think a lot of teams are gonna lose three or four games in a row this year, but if you do it right out of the gates, like you almost can't have another bad stretch. That to me uh, is the problem with Oklahoma City, and you lose to Sacramento, and you lose the way you lost last night is so disappointing. Because if if they had just been smart about their possessions, if you know Westbrook had just played within the team and himself, um, they win that game no matter what Boston does. Because when you're that good, you shouldn't lose leads at home like that, even to Boston. And you know Boston's the best at that in the league, and you know being just fine when they're in a situation that most teams would not be just fine in, but. That game was, uh, if you're Oklahoma City, you hope it's not telling. But part of the reason why I was up on them, too, I thought Carmelo was going to be addition by subtraction, But I, and he's played pretty well. Um, but, I'm, again, I'm not sure how it fits Dennis Schroeder. And I like Schroeder. I think he's a good point guard, and if he's your backup, I think he's a really good backup point guard. He's a playmaker. He's, he's really athletic, gets to the rim. But the one thing they were pointing out last night is Oklahoma City doesn't have a ton of shooting. And that might be their downfall. And if if I'm them, I'm like looking at Cleveland and going, "What do you want for Corver?" I'm trying to figure something out here because that's right. They don't have a t- Paul's a good shooter but outside of him you know Abrinus is all right but he's liability. ability you know a guy
1: like Bellinelli watching him in San Antonio watching yeah. him in Philadelphia and Quinn I think said it he's going to have a he can play as long as he wants to because every time he comes in the game he, he's got such a quick release and you just think it's going in and you know he hit a couple against the Pacers i think he even hit one where he was trying to pass the ball with like a minute or two left oh, and yeah. it actually went in Bellinelli was i guess he just finished 2 for 5 it sure seemed like he was better than that from 3 But, yeah, that's the Thunder problem. I'm really looking forward to this week. I think the Pacers got their mojo back just a little bit against San Antonio. They've played really well dating back to last season when they've had that one extra day off. This team hasn't had heavy minutes from any particular player. So, I think they should be fresh. I think they should still maybe be a little bit better about the Cavs, even though LeBron's not there. I think they should go into the quick and loans arena and be fired up. And then Monday should be a fantastic matchup with the way Portland's playing. They have just one loss on the season. That was an entertaining game against Washington, who similarly had you know, a little bit of backs against the wall. So Monday night Bankers Life field loss. You haven't had too many chances in the first couple of weeks to see this team. And then you won't for another Six seven days, um, but uh, it's a big time game against the Trailblazers, and I'm looking forward to that one Monday.
0: And I think one of the more interesting notes came from Fox Sports Stats Services, uh, and it was the fact that they go 12 straight games without with playing either on the road or a playoff team, in a lot of those cases both. And you know that that's tough to start a season that way, but I kind of like it. Like if they can. Tread water, and maybe even do a little bit more than tread water during this stretch. You get some of those tough games out of the way. I mean, think about like how that. Many- said
1: you count Cleveland still as a playoff team, so maybe true, they're not quite true, there. And true, and I thought but Minnesota was still, still a road game. So ch- yeah. road
0: or playoff? That's true. So it still yep. fits. The and, home,
1: and the home games are fun.
0: The home games are fun, and they're tough teams. And you know, I, I think Brooklyn's decent this year, and and also. Memphis looked horrible on opening night, but I think I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but like I still think they're going to win mid 30s games and they've looked all right since. I
1: didn't think that watching them opening night, but then the games following, I said it made what? the Pacers opening night win look a lot better. I believe they did end up losing at Sacramento cuz there was a chance they would have only had the one loss. Um they played Sacramento, I believe on Tuesday night, maybe it was Wednesday, and they lost that game.
0: Memphis is 2 and 1 where's Brooklyn here so both the two teams are 4 and 2 outside of their Pacers game so i'm not saying those to me aren't bottom of the barrel teams the thing is the pacers are going to go by the time they're into mid november and they're not going to have played a bottom of the barrel team at home those games where outside of catastrophe you win and so that's that's a positive because i think you you've got some hopefully banked wins that you're not using yet early in the season and that san antonio win i think was was really really big just because you don't want you don't want the no road win thing hanging, and so and until
1: you beat a really good team. I mean, even though we were saying Memphis and Brooklyn aren't bottom of the barrel, they're not elite. You got to beat a really good team to think that you're at that level as well.
0: Cleveland is on Saturday, and I know like they're 0 5, but it's still a road team. They still got they've got some pieces where I think they could still make it work. So I'm not looking at this as one of those road games where. You know, you still say that you should win. Uh, I, I think it, you should win it, but not necessarily unless you play well. And I do think the Pacers will play well, um, but this kind of game worries me because Cleveland is, is probably going to be a little bit more desperate at this point. Like, they got to start getting things turned around. And the Pacers are better. I think there's no doubt the Pacers are better. I think coming off that San Antonio win helps. But I would, I would hope that they're not, and I don't think this team has ever shown, this version of this team has ever shown that, but that they're going to overlook Cleveland because they still have Kevin Love. You know, They still have some of those other guys that, that were contributors, Tristan Thompson, um, J.R. Smith, that were contributors on a team that, of course, had LeBron, and he was bringing them way past where they should have been. But uh, Cleveland on Saturday, and then you mentioned the Portland game on Monday. Portland, over the past few years, has played pretty well here. Lillard has played pretty well here. They won. The Portland game last year was at the very beginning of the season, um, and they won here. And then uh, then back on the road to New York, it's a tough three or four games to gauge because you can make a case that you should be the favorite in all of them, but only maybe slightly in a lot of them. And a lot of them are, to me, kind of games where if you don't play well – you you, you put yourself in jeopardy of losing.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fun week. I'm looking forward to the trip to Cleveland and a quick return home. And I think that Monday night game against Portland, I think it'll tell a lot about this team. And with what I've seen from them, I think this is going to be a really good home court team. They've been good. They've had a winning record at home now, 29 consecutive seasons. We've been talking about this statistic so many times that I sometimes lose track, just like Miles Turner, what year is he in the league? But 29 straight seasons with a winning record at home. And that I see... You know, continuing going to 30 and, and locking that up very early this season. i, I just been impressed with uh, the crowds, the energy in the building, and the, the confidence this team has at home. So get here Monday night, Pacers, Blazers, that should be a good one.
0: All right, he's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. That'll wrap it up. We've got practice coming up here in about 15 minutes, and then Jeremiah uh, hits the road with the team for Cleveland. You can catch – that's a 7. 730, 730. 7.30. Pacers
1: Live pregame radio pregame 7 o'clock.
0: 7 o'clock on the pregame shows Fox Sports Indiana 1070, the fan across the Bankers Life radio network. We will talk to you next week on the Sideline Guys podcast.